Let's open our Bibles to the book of Daniel. We'll be in chapter 3, and that's our goal to get through chapter 3 tonight, but uh, let's go back in way of review uh, for the reason that Daniel finds himself in Babylon. Um, Most of the prophet Jeremiah's ministry was one message, and um, it was a message they didn't want to hear because they had disobeyed the Lord as far as keeping the commandments of the Sabbath of the land. The Lord says, I'm gonna raise up the king of Babylon and he's gonna take you into captivity for 70 years. This basically was Jeremiah's message. And he says, I don't want you to fight against the king. I want you to capitulate, just yield yourself to him. And then there were the false prophets. The false prophets, of course, had the exact opposite message. God would never do that to his people. He would never destroy his temple. And you guys don't have anything to worry about. And what happened is exactly what Jeremiah said. And so we have in chapter one, I'll just briefly go over it, that when Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, uh, it happened over three different attacks on the city, over, I think, as much as, uh, quite a few years, actually. And um, Daniel and his friends, we find out in verse seven, uh, verse six, the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when they get to Babylon, their names are changed to Beltish. Daniel is Belteshazzar. Hananiah becomes Shadrach, Mishael, um, Meshach, and Az- Azariah, Abednego. And we find that um, they went in three years of training so that after a three-year period of time, they could serve in Nebuchadnezzar's administration. So that meant learning language, so on and so forth. It meant one of the privileges was um, having access to what the king ate, they got to eat. And so if you look at verse eight, um, Daniel did not want any part of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. No, come back, I'll make mention to it later because we're gonna find the same thing in chapter three tonight. But here, uh, last week, we went into Leviticus, talked about the law of um, the dietary laws of what was kosher, what was clean, what was unclean. And obviously, what they were putting before Uh, Daniel and his three friends, was food that was not lawful for a Jewish man to eat. So the the word defile there carries with it the same wording uh, that that we have of um, um, eating anything unclean would defile you as a Jew. And we actually went there last week. So he asked if they could just have vegetables and water. And the chief eunuch said, if I do that, you guys aren't going to look good, and my head is on the line, and don't put me in that situation. And he said, well, how about a test? You give us vegetables and water for 10 days. If we don't look better than any of the guys that are eating the king's delicacies, then it's your call. So they did it for 10 days. After 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked better, fatter in appearance, and they stood before um, Um, King Nebuchadnezzar, beginning in verse 17. And we're told that Daniel was given the gift of wisdom and he had knowledge of visions and dreams. And when he was interviewed by Nebuchadnezzar, it says that of all the men that were interviewed, there was not none that was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And it says they were 10 times wiser than all of the other wise men that were being interviewed. So that was chapter one. I made the point that some of the connections between the book of Daniel on Sunday and Revelation 
it's interesting that both are divided into three sections. And what we have in Daniel, as we divide it in three sections, section one is written in Hebrew. That was chapter one, what we just went through here. But beginning in chapter two through seven, it changes from the Hebrew language to the Aramaic language because it's talking about Gentile nations. It's dealing with Gentiles. And if you look at verse four then of chapter two, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And it's beginning here in this verse all the way through chapter seven that it's in the Aramaic language. But when you get to chapter eight through 12, there's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. Now we have the future plans for Israel and it reverts back to the Hebrew. Three divisions for the book of Daniel. Chapter one, Aramaic. Uh, Section two, chapter two through verse seven. Um, Chapter one, Hebrew, then Aramaic, and chapter two through seven. And the third section of the book, again, eight through 12, going back to the Hebrew, is the division of the book of of, uh, Daniel. Now, on Sunday, we started um, Sunday's message with with the key to the book of Revelation. And um, it's divided into three sections. The key verse is, if you're taking notes, chapter one, verse 19, John says, the Lord said to John, write the things that are, all right? That's chapter one. He was on the island of Patmos, and he wrote what he saw. What did he see? He saw Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks, and in his hand, right hand, he had seven stars. That's the first division of the book. And then he's told, in chapter one, verse 19, write the things that are. Now that would be present tense. Um, That would be the church age, chapters two and three. This is the second division to the book of Revelation. The third division, um, he's told to write the things that'll be after those things. The question is, what things? Well, the things of the church. And so we'll make a point of that, this seven year period of time Um, we have three divisions for the book of Daniel, we have three divisions for the book of Revelation. The things that he's seen, one division. Chapter one, the things that are, chapters two and three, which by the way, we're a part of right now. We're still part of the church, we're still here. Doesn't look like for too much longer. (laughs) And then the things that'll be after the rapture of the church. God owes Israel seven years. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. So now that brings us to a a quick overview that I'd like to do that will give meaning to our study tonight in chapter three. So basically, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he doesn't understand it. And he calls his wise men in and he says, I had a dream and I want you to tell me what I dreamt and I want you to tell me the interpretation of it. And um, that shook them up and said, look, we can't do that. Just tell us what you dreamed and we'll tell you what it meant. And he goes, not so fast. You guys are trying to get information out of me, but if you're, um, they're soothsayers, astrologers, sorcerers, they they couldn't do it. And he wasn't going to tell them what the dream was. So the edict at this time is you guys aren't worth your salt, and I'm going to kill every single one of you. And he becomes furious. Well, the word got back to Daniel and that they were looking to kill Daniel and his three friends. And Daniel said, hold on, not so fast. Would you just give us some time so that we can have a prayer meeting and ask the Lord if he'll give us what you dreamed and its interpretation. And the king allowed him to do so And God reveals the dream to Daniel. And we find that in verses 14 through 20. Um, Verse 18 says that they might seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might uh, have, uh, be not, not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
So he not only knows what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, because the Lord showed him the whole thing, but he also gave him the meaning of it. Well, this is what he saw. We'll put, we've been putting this up. Mary's update used it. I've used it a couple times. Um, this is basically what Nebuchadnezzar saw. He saw an image, head of gold. Um, then it had a chest of silver. It had um, his hips and, uh, and size were of uh, bronze. And then the legs were of iron, and then the ten toes, partly of iron, partly of clay. And from verses um, 24 all the way through down to uh, verse 37, let's go down to verse 36, Daniel tells him that what the image is and... um, What's going to happen to the image? It tells us that a stone was going to be cut out and hit this image, and it's going to crush the entire image, and this stone cut without hands is going to destroy it, and um, it's going to blow away like the wind, and then the stone, we're told, will become a great mountain and will fill the whole earth. And what it is is the Lord Jesus Christ returning at the battle of Armageddon, destroying the ten nations, the ten toes that are yet future. As we look at this statue here, we talked about the empires that have ruled the world. Well, it started with Babylon, but Babylon wasn't the first one. Egypt was the first one. And the Assyrians conquered the Egyptians. They were the second biggest power. Now, because um, this is only pertaining to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, obviously the statue doesn't include Egypt and Assyria. They've come, they have gone. But it starts with um, this dream. If you go down to verse 36, Daniel looks at Nebuchadnezzar, and I, <laughs> I'm sure his jaw is just wide open and his mouth is just hanging because he just nailed it. That's exactly what I saw, in verse 36, he says, this is a dream. Now I'll tell you the interpretation of it before the king. This is what you saw. Now I'm gonna tell you what it means. And so he said, you, O king, are king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, and the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hands, and he has made you ruler over them all, you are the head of gold. And he goes, wow. Well, it doesn't say wow, but that's what I'm thinking he's thinking. <laughs> but he, what he hears next doesn't really hit him right away, okay? Because he's just getting the, the, um, um, the interpretation. In verse 39, but after you, there's gonna be another king inferior to to yours, and then a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over the earth. And just as silver is inferior to gold and bronze is inferior to silver, we have a decline in the in the uh, the quality and wealth of this of these uh, uh, statues. And as he's listening to him, the last thing he talks about is the stone not cut with hands, broken pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver. I'm in verse 45 right now. Uh, The God of heaven has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. I want to go to verse 28 and point out something very important as we tie Daniel and Revelation together. He said, but there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be, what does it say? In the latter days. So talk about an overview of history. Anybody who studies history knows that this is a fact. Um, The critics of the Bible say it's so spot on accurate with world history that it had to be written during the time of the Maccabees. The problem is we we got the Septuagint Bible that has the book of Daniel in it and that was written before Antioch Epiphanes and, and the back, 
Maccabeans at about 174, 175 BC. So if you have a problem, which we don't, that the Bible is inerrant, it is um, Daniel and Revelation are the two major books that deal with Bible prophecy. And some of it is still yet unfulfilled. The Roman Empire declined. I'll be talking about the decline of the Roman Empire on Sunday when we talk about the Church of Smyrna and how these two, it's going to blow your mind tonight, how these two books, chapter 3 and the book of Revelation, um, uh, are intertwined. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, the last couple of verses here, is promoted to the number two position in the entire world. Nobody had more authority except Nebuchadnezzar. And I believe the last time we did chapter two, I made the point that this happened to Joseph also. Joseph had the gift of being able to interpret dreams. Remember the butler and the wine taster when he was in prison? And he told the, um, the guy who was a king's uh, cupbearer, I had a dream, what does it mean? <laughs> And he says, well, you're getting out of here. You're going you're, you're gonna to be reinstated. And when you do, will you remember me here? And he says, sure, I'll remember you. Well, he didn't. He forgot all about him. But then Pharaoh has a dream of these seven cows. And some were fat and, some, and then there were seven that were lean. He goes, what in the world does that mean? And it, it troubled him. And then the wine... Bearer is listening, goes, now I remember. When I was in prison, remember, there's a guy in prison, he's still there right now, that told me my dream exactly, and it came to pass exactly as you said. Go get him. So they, they bring Joseph out. He goes before Pharaoh, and he tells him exactly what to do for the next seven years, for the famine that was going to come. And he prepared the country and it came to pass exactly as Joseph said and as a result, what happens? Joseph is now elevated to the number two position in the world. So the first world empire, Egypt, under the pharaohs. But just as Daniel is raised up here under Nebuchadnezzar, Joseph, because of his gift of interpreting dreams, was raised up to the number two position in all the world during the time of the pharaohs. Now, this was necessary background uh, for our study because now Nebuchadnezzar had, has a chance to think on it. He goes, now wait a second, I'm the head of gold. What's this part about somebody coming after me? He didn't like that part. And so we begin this chapter, three, um, with Nebuchadnezzar making his own Image. So let's just read verse 1 of chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubics and its width was 6 cubics. All right, that should capture your attention right away because we have 60 and 6 coming together with an image. Are you beginning to connect some dots? We'll make it clear in just a second. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The image was 60 cubics by 6 cubics in breadth. Uh, That was a pretty good size image. A cubic is approximately 18 inches, which should make the image 90 feet tall. Babylon was situated on a plain surrounded by a flat country. Although it was a city of skyscrapers for its day, the sheer height of the image made it visible from a great distance. The plain of Dura was like an airport, flat, expansive, allowing a great multitude to assemble for the worship of the image, Um, actually the worship of the king. So now we have an image that is set up made out of pure gold, 90 feet tall, 60 cubic spice. Six, 90 feet tall. And the uh, numbers there, um, uh, let's see two through seven, we'll come back and then before we go to Revelation. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar sent word uh, to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurer, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar has set out. He calls for, remember he's over the whole world, these 120 provinces, and just calls for the leadership at this time to come to the dedication. So, the the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judgments, magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of, of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony with all kinds of music, then you're going to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, why is he doing this? Well, he's an open defiance of the dream that he had in chapter two. No, he's basically saying, let's be clear here. Nobody's gonna take my spot. So he makes it all of gold. He realizes that the head was gold, so he makes the whole thing of gold. And now he demands worldwide worship. All right, verse six, and whoever does not fall down will be cast immediately into the midst of a... Uh, burning fiery furnace. I could get sidetracked here talking about worship. We're so fortunate and blessed to have people that know how to worship the Lord. This is forced worship, okay? And this has nothing, nothing to do with real worship. If you didn't worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue, you were killed. <laughs> and so at that time when all the people, and then it repeats all the instruments, the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, symphony, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, this is again in defiance of metallic man made of gold and silver, bronze and iron, and iron and clay. Here is where we begin to connect the dots. What I like to say of an Old Testament picture that goes along with a New Testament teaching. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is in the middle of the tribulation. And the reason I know that, if you go back to chapter 12, verse 14, and we'll be getting to that over the time we go through Revelation, but the woman here is representative of Israel, and I'll explain that when we get to this chapter, was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Now, we're gonna be talking about the seven-year period of time in just a moment, but here's a time reference right here. Time is singular, one year. Times plural is two, Two plus one is three, and then half a time. So what do you have? Um, We have a a period of time of three and a half years. Now, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24, and he calls it the abomination of desolation. And he says, um, when you see it, he says, it's called the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So now we have Jesus quoting Daniel speaking about this event that we're about to get into in chapter 13. Chapter 13 is assassination attempt that evidently is successful. Verse three said that this is a picture of now the Antichrist, the one who's going after the woman. And he had a fatal head wound and all the world marveled and followed the beast. I've been listening, this is way off track, and I hope I find my way back. I've been listening to John F. Kennedy's nephew, Robert Kennedy Jr. And if you guys want to do some extra credit homework, 
on a man who really knows what's going on right now when it deals with this pandemic and the powers that be right now. I really encourage you to, um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have Mary get the website so that you could, we'll put it on the screen on Sunday. I listened to him for an hour and a half this morning, and um, he blew my mind. Uh, and, and it's because of his name. I mean, his uncle was JFK. And the reason I'm bringing that up is imagine JFK having a fatal head wound, and everybody knew he was dead, but then all of a sudden he gets out of the hospital bed and walks out. And uh, the whole world would marvel at such an event. Well, that's what happened here. And it says they worshipped, and, and he was given power in speaking, and authority to continue, verse 5, for 42 months. 42 months is another way of saying times, times, and a half times. Three and a half years. Daniel 9, 27, we'll be going to, it says, in the middle of the week. A week is at seven years that he owes Israel. So what does he do? He has a false prophet who is able to do signs and wonders and miracles. And let's pick it up in verse 14. And it says that he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Are the dots coming together? Make an image. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast would both speak and notice and cause as many as would not worship the beast to be killed. Direct with um, Daniel chapter three. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or their forehead. No one could buy or sell except the one who had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Let me just stop and make a comment. The technology exists today for, for every man to um, get rid of all cash altogether. The technology exists to be um, imprinted, and it won't be visible. And um, um, there are those that are claiming, whatever you do, don't take that mark. Well, let me just be clear here. (laughs) This is what the technology that exists today may indeed be used, but it's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast can't be implemented until we're halfway through the tribulation. So we're halfway through, he's been mortally wounded, he comes back to life, they make this image of him, and the mark is gonna require the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now I can get really sidetracked here talking about gametria and Hebrew alphabet having numerical values attributed to them. And um, using gametria, you could actually find out uh, the number of his name by using it. And that's a, a little rabbit trail you guys might want to chase on your own. But the mark of the beast doesn't happen until halfway into the tribulation period. So you don't have to worry about anything right now because we're not going to be here anyway. <laughs> if, if there was a cashless society that came, comes into existence, it has nothing to do with the, with the Antichrist. Not until here. Are we clear on that one? Because <laughs> there is some confusion out there about that. All right, so here it is. Here's wisdom. Verse 18. Let him who has understanding... Calculate, and this is where I think gametria comes into it. The number of the beast for the number is the number of a man, and his number is 666. If people don't know anything about the book of Revelation, they've heard about 666. Is it just a coincidence that this statue is 60 cubics by 6 cubics? Is it any coincidence that unless you bow down and worship, you will be put to death? And you can see the teaching here. But like I said, for every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. And I'm just getting started. (laughs) So let's go back to Daniel. We'll be coming back to Revelation. So we're in Daniel chapter 
3, we left off with verse 7, where they all bow down and worship. And uh, thousands of people would have probably would have been there from these provinces. And um, imagine Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not doing it. Don't you think they're going to stick out like sore thumbs? I mean, every, everybody's down worshiping, and here's these three guys just sort of standing around and looking, and they're not bowing down. And word got out. Verse 8, 8 through 12. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews and spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, didn't you make a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and in symphony, symphony with all kinds of music, they're supposed to fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And you need to know that there are certain Jews who have not who you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What's odd about what I just read? Daniel's not there. Daniel's missing. Question is, where's Daniel? We'll come back to that in just a little bit. O king, have not paid regard to you. They do not serve your God or worship the gold image that you have set up. So the reason is, um, remember, go back real quickly to um, chapter one, verse eight. And remember, they would not eat the king's delicacy because it was unclean food. And so it was for biblical reasons that they did this. The same is true here. If you turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 20, Give you a minute to get there. Exodus chapter 20. Let me draw your attention to verses one through five. We have here the commandments. Verse one, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is that the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down. Now imagine the command being given. What do you think is going through these guys' head? The commandment. We can't bow down to any image nor bow down to them nor serve them for I am the Lord your God and I'm a jealous God. And so they simply couldn't do it because it was part of the commandments that God gave to them. Go back to Daniel 3. And from verses 8 to 12, they have been sought out. And now we find Nebuchadnezzar confronting them in verses 13 through 18. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, um, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them and said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, I'm going to give you guys a break. If you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music and if you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Now he's exalting himself, and he said, how do you think you're gonna get out of that? I'm the king here. 
and this is what I'm going to do if you don't do. I'll give you guys a second chance, but you better do it. Because if you don't, you're gonna die. And who's gonna deliver you out of my hands? Uh, And I I like these guys. They, They had a chance to think it through. They answer him in verses 14 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, what they didn't say is, O king, live forever. (laughs) Um, We have no need to answer you in this matter. Now this tells me um, that basically this means that they have carefully weighed the consequences of refusing to obey the king. They counted the cost and uh, they go on to say, we're, we're, we're not afraid to talk to you about this, this matter. We've thought it through. If that's the case, our God whom we serve, he's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He can do that. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But I like this. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Said our our God is able to do that. But just so you know from us, we've thought it through, and even if he doesn't, then we're not gonna bow down anyway. Now in verses verses nineteen through twenty-five, we find Nebuchadnezzar blows his top. He was full of fury. And the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think he had a lot of respect for them. Remember, they were 10 times wiser than anybody else. And again, Daniel's not in the picture, but that's, there's a reason for that too. But now his attitude has changed towards these three. Therefore he spoke and commanded that the heat of the, of the furnace make it seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, the number seven here is significant. It's significant, remember, who's the writer of the book of Revelation? John, right? And he also, when we finished before we went to Revelation, we were studying the gospel of John. And what is John's gospel written around? Seven miracles, seven I am statements. He closes the book by saying, well, there's, the Lord did many more things. I suppose if, if you wrote them all down, even the world itself couldn't contain all the things that Jesus has ever done. But these things are written, these seven I am statements and these seven miracles, so that you'll believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But the seven here, as, as it relates to the book of Revelation, Remember, it's a seven-year period of time. Turn with me just a couple pages to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, it gives us the very day that the Messiah would, would come. And this was fulfilled on April 6, 32 AD. And let's just read it. And after... The 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. It's the 62 and 69 altogether. And the people of the prince who is to come, now it's a reference to the people of the prince. The prince here is a picture of the Antichrist. Mary's update of him coming out of the revived Roman Empire um, will destroy the city in a sanctuary. Well, Jesus said the same thing um, in Luke chapter 19. He said, because you didn't know the time of your coming, that um, there's not gonna be one stone left upon another. Jerusalem's gonna be destroyed. Not only was it prophesied in Luke 19, but here Daniel is prophesying it and said, Messiah's gonna come. And he's gonna be executed, but not for himself. Who did Jesus die for? Well, he died for me. He died for you. But then he talks about the people that will actually come and the people of the prince. Now this is a reference to the Antichrist who is to come, future tense, 
shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and it shall be with a flood until the, the end of war desolations are determined. Now, between this verse, 26, and 27, we have the church age. Jesus came, if you're taking notes, John 1, verse 11, he came unto his own. His own received him not. And then he said the last thing he said to Israel, you're not gonna see me anymore until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, there's a future time where Israel is actually gonna call out and ask the Lord to save them and deliver them. But in the meantime, we are living in the gap right now. We're in the church age. Now, verse 27, he owes Israel seven years because 69 weeks are already fulfilled. That's when Jesus was executed. Then he, the he here is in reference going back to verse 26 to the prince who is to come, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now we're not gonna be here, but let's say you're watching live stream tonight or you're here, you're not saved, not born again. The Lord comes for his church. You're going to um, uh, know who the Antichrist is. You say, well, Dwight, how, do you, how will they know who the Antichrist is? Well, with everything that's going on in the Middle East right now, I was, I'm just, I was just doing my, I'd like watching the news in the morning and stuff like that, and I'm listening to this plague, this locust plague that's hitting Iran right now, and they're, they're going down, and they know it, and they're, they're economically in big trouble. But the stage is set right now perfectly for what's happening in the Middle East for the Ezekiel 38 war. Russia's there, Turkey's there, Erdogan. Uh, he wants to be the world ruler, by the way. Have you heard that one? Erdogan of Turkey wants to be the world ruler. And then we have Iraq, which is ancient Persia. They're all there, but they're the main players in this battle in Ezekiel 38. In other words, the stage is set. And as we watch this unfolding, talk about the importance of fellowship, Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. There's a, a manner out there, well, we don't need to go to church anymore. That's for old people. Just wait a second, I'm an old person. Anyway, there's this exodus from, from church. And I don't blame them. Uh, why, why go and get patted on the back and feel you've, you've fulfilled some sort of religious obligation when that's much of what the church is about today? And unfortunately, there will be a lot of people that will, will be left behind. How will you know the Antichrist? Well, as soon as a world leader comes up on a stage and says, I got the answer, problems of the Middle East, we're gonna let Israel build this temple. I'm gonna sign a peace treaty with them. You guys are gonna sign it too. And it's gonna last, it'll be a seven year peace agreement. Interesting number. For the, and that's the amount of time. That, that, by the way, that's Revelation chapter six, verse one, where the rider on a white horse is this prince right here. Well, um, there will be a temporary peace, but when he comes out, in Revelation 6, verse 1, it says he goes out to conquer and conquering. So there's wars that he's involved in. And we'll get into more of that when we get to Daniel chapter 11. But suffice to say for now, the he will confirm a covenant with many for a seven-year period of time, one week. And in the middle of the week, all right, that's Revelation 13 again. What happens? He brings an end to the sacrifice and offerings. And on the wings of abomination shall make one who is desolate. Even unto the consummation which is defiled, it is poured out the desolate. So what, imagine a temple being rebuilt. By the way, Moses and Elijah are on the scene doing a lot of witnessing. And um, um, we find this event taking place in the middle of that week. And the reason I go there again is I want to make the point of the seven years. 
So seven years of great tribulation. Go with me to Revelation chapter seven now. All right, I need to reread because I stopped at verse 19 for the sidetrack. So you can stay in, stay in Revelation, but I'm reading Daniel 3 verse 19 over again. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of rage and the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times more than it was before. So the seven, I believe, ties into um, a picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're in Revelation chapter seven, as the judgments are about to be poured out, I'm not gonna read all, all, the, all of it, but you'll get a picture of it here. Um, verse one, after these things I've, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that there should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Would you just give that some thought for a second? The other thing that was making news this morning is there's no solar activity on the sun right now. Anybody else catch that? And they say, the rem- so nobody's reporting on it, but this is a major deal that's causing major changes in our, uh, on when this happened in the past. There's been major famines, uh, extremely cold weathers, and, but that's a whole never thought. But what happens when the wind doesn't blow? No rain, right? Revelation 11 when it talks about the two witnesses. It says there will be no rain in the days of their prophecy. And that's Revelation chapter 11, verse two, if you're taking notes. Well, how long is their prophecy for? How long do they prophesy for? Three and a half years. So here, we're at the beginning of this period of time, and we're told the first thing that the Lord does is no wind. And when you don't have that, you don't have the the climate Cycles and the clouds going over the ocean, evaporation, collecting in rain, and so on and so forth. And that would not blow on the earth or on, or on any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from heaven, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, don't harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until you have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead." And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses. Oh, no, 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 that's not what it says. No, no, no. The Lord goes out of his way. He wants you to know these are Jews here. It doesn't say 144,000 people. It doesn't say 144,000 Christians or Jehovah Witnesses. They are none of the above. Who are they? Well, there's 12,000 from Judah. 12,000 from Reuben, from Gad, from Asher, from Naphtali, from Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, and Joseph, and Benjamin. And they're 12 tribes of the children of Israel. What about them? They're supernaturally protected during this period of time. So, are you putting the dots together in this one? If it's not clear, let's go back to um, Daniel 3, and we'll connect this dot. We got as far as verse 19. So the furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are gonna be thrown into has just been heated up seven times hotter. I believe that number is significant. And he commanded certain men of valor who were of his army to bind. Notice the word bind there, so they're tied up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And the men were bound, okay? So they're, they're, they're binded and they're bound. Notice with their clothes on, with their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Are you catching this? The guys that are throwing them into the fire, they perish because it's so hot. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell down, notice, bound, into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselor, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of that fire? And they said, sure, sure thing. He said to the king, true, O king. He says, well, look, I see four men loose, so they're not bound anymore, and walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. In chapter two, he's a stone that's cut out, but here, he is walking around with them, supernaturally protecting them, and they're not hurt. So we, we find, uh, bound in, in a fiery furnace, um, I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as a type of the 144,000 that are supernaturally sealed, but there's a more personal sidetrack that I want to do here that's going to be more applicable for you and me because there's a lot of people going through a lot of trials right now. I'll have to admit, when this thing was going down, I was getting bummed out. I was going through days of being just depressed myself. And even with the hope that we, we have, you take that away and don't have fellowship and that sort of thing, um, it can take its toll. So we do go through fiery trials. I don't think I've asked for an amen yet tonight. Do we go through fiery trials or not? Then turn with me to first to first Peter chapter. Well, before we go look at verse 27, as long as we're here. Notice in verse 27, it tells us that um, of chapter uh, 27, is it 27? Oh yeah, 27, let's read it. Um, it says that on whose body the fire had no power, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them when they came out. So the only thing that was burned was that which has bound them. And so they were free. And that's the only thing that was burned off. Now turn with me to First Peter chapter 1. Give me a second to get there. And we actually use the terminology, we go through a fiery trial. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Sometimes I've, I've heard the guys call, how you doing? Oh man, I went through a burner this week. Well, it's, that's Christianese. <laughs> For I went through a fiery trial. So Paul Peter addresses it directly in verse five. Um, Let's look at verse six through seven. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of of, uh, fiery trials? To test your faith. Uh, Were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having their faith tested when they were told if you don't bow down, you're gonna die? Yeah, their faith was being tested, but it was strong. We don't have to think about this matter. Um, Our God's able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not gonna do it because God's word says so. But anyway, the necessity of of suffering is kind of where we're going on Sunday because of the church of Smyrna and a great persecution that took place during the first 300 years, what Christians went through. So the fiery trials, we can can go back to... um, Daniel, and again, we'll connect the dots as we get ready to close this thing up. Daniel chapter three. We made it to verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar looks in, sees him walking around freed, and he sees the fourth 
as the son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come out here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire. And again, the satraps, the administrators, governors, king counselors, gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and a smell of fire was not on them. Let's just camp on this a bit. The reason for fiery trials is a purification process that will unbind you. And that's the purpose of trials. The only thing that was burned was that which bound them. They were free when they came out. And the Lord was with them through it all. But we still didn't answer the question, where's Daniel in all this? If all the main leaders of his government are gathered here, where is Daniel? Well, Daniel's also a picture. I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a picture of the 144,000 that are supernaturally protected from the judgments during this period of time. Where's Daniel? He's not mentioned. Why isn't he mentioned? Because I believe he's a picture of the church. And if he's a picture of the church, he can't be in the tribulation. And who agrees with me on this one is my friend J. Vernon McGee. And I'll, I'll be quoting him in just a minute. But here we have in this one chapter of uh, Revelation, a picture of the image, 666, the mark of the beast. We have a picture of the 144,000 being supernaturally protected. I believe a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being with us through the storms of life. And then Daniel, who is noticeably missing, but why? Well, let's read the rest of this. Nebuchadnezzar stood saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, (laughs) and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there's no other God who can deliver like this. And the king promoted, again, a second time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. For every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. And Daniel 3 and Revelations Uh, Revelation 13 and 7 tie into uh, this here. And I'll close with this paragraph from McGee as he says, um, um, basically, he makes the same connections that we did tonight in our study. I quote him. The events recorded here in this chapter, he uses different language. I like to term Old Testament picture of a New Testament teaching, he just uses it our prophetic picture of the great tribulation period. The fiery furnace represents a suffering that will occur during the great tribulation. This man, Nebuchadnezzar, represents a beast out of the sea, the Antichrist, the last great world ruler. The image of gold represents the abomination of desolation, which the Lord spoke of, These three Hebrew children represent the remnant which will be miraculously preserved during the great tribulation period. And then quite interestingly, Daniel is not mentioned in this chapter at all. He wasn't around. Apparently he acted not only as a Supreme Court justice but also as prime minister of the kingdom. He was probably out on king's business, out on the king's highway. He is therefore a picture of the redeemed ones who are to be removed, the rapture, before the great tribulation. What a wonderful picture is presented here. 
Teaching New Testament. Picture Old Testament. And then he says, the fourth man present in a furnace we see the Lord Jesus Christ was with them. And he will be with them also in the day of the great tribulation. With those who are his as they go through the trials of that period. My friend, he is with you and me today as we go through our trials. He said, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. But in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He also said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He promises never to leave or forsake his own. Would you stand with me? We'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through Daniel chapter three, and we see just how intertwined these two books are, it really does increase our faith as we talk about the unfolding and the regathering of your people and the kingdom of ten toes that is yet to come. Lord, it just gives us confidence that it's gonna happen, that it must happen, because your word can't be undone. You said to the dotting of a jot or a tittle, dotting of an I, crossing of a T. How many times have you said that this has happened because it is written? What a beautiful picture you've uh, laid out for us um, in Daniel chapter three. It does, Lord, increase our faith And it does comfort us when we go through the fiery trials of life, knowing that you're doing just to purify us. And um, we're grateful, Lord, for that. So as we go tonight, dismiss us in your grace and in your peace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Gilded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, (laughs) and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there's no other God who can deliver like this. And the king promoted, again, a second time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. For every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. And Daniel 3 and Revelations Uh, Revelation 13 and 7 tie into uh, this here. And I'll close with this paragraph from McGee as he says, um, um, basically, he makes the same connections that we did tonight in our study. I quote him. The events recorded here in this chapter, he uses different language. I like to term Old Testament picture of a New Testament teaching, he just uses it our prophetic picture of the great tribulation period. The fiery furnace represents the suffering that will occur during the great tribulation. This man, Nebuchadnezzar, represents the beast out of the sea, the Antichrist, the last great world ruler. The image of gold represents the abomination of desolation, which the Lord spoke of, These three Hebrew children represent the remnant which will be miraculously preserved during the great tribulation period. And then quite interestingly, Daniel is not mentioned in this chapter at all. He wasn't around. Apparently he acted not only as a Supreme Court justice but also as prime minister of the kingdom. He was probably out on king's business, out on the king's highway. He is therefore a picture of the redeemed ones who are to be removed, the rapture, before the great tribulation. What a wonderful picture is presented here. Teaching New Testament, picture Old Testament. And then he says, the fourth man present in the furnace we see the Lord Jesus Christ was with them. And he will be with them also in the day of the great tribulation. With those who are his, as they go through the trials of that period. My friend, he is with you and me today as we go through our trials. He said, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. But in this world 
you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He also said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He promises never to leave or forsake his own. Would you stand with me? We'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through Daniel chapter three, we see just how intertwined these two books are. It really does increase our faith as we talk about the unfolding and the regathering of your people and the kingdom of ten toes that is yet to come. Lord, it just gives us confidence that it's gonna happen, that it must happen, because your word can't be undone. You said to the dotting of a jot or a tittle, dotting of an I, crossing of a T. How many times have you said that this has happened because it is written? What a beautiful picture you've uh, laid out for us um, in Daniel chapter three. It does, Lord, increase our faith and it does comfort us when we go through the fiery trials of life. Knowing that you're doing just to purify us and um, we're grateful, Lord, for that. So as we go tonight, dismiss us in your grace and in your peace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.